growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. I'm telling you, this one principle would eliminate church splits, arguments, fights, marital strife. Okay, maybe there'll still be a little strife, but it could be overcome by humbly and lovingly serving. Broadway dancers, Olympic athletes, successful chefs, and others who have reached certain levels of proficiency at something all have one thing in common, discipline. Anyone who has reached a high level of competency in something has not done so haphazardly. They have built certain disciplines into their lives that have allowed them to become successful. So, what does it take to become successful as a follower of Jesus? I mean, I like coming down here, and the worship is good, and I want to learn something about God's Word, but, but I don't really have to be here. I don't, I don't really have to be a, a, a part of this. I don't really have to, to serve in this. Here's the thing. You kind of do. If you're going to be in the center of God's will, if you're going to accomplish what God has for you, you kind of do. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue today our series entitled Cross Culture in 3D, So Real You Can Touch It, we continue our look at the importance of disciplines being built into our lives as followers of Christ. People often have the best intentions, but unless they place certain disciplines into their lives, they'll never reach what God desires for us. Probably almost every person in this room would wholeheartedly say, Jesus is Lord. But let me ask you a question. Do you and I live Jesus is Lord? Last week, Pastor Clay began to show us from Romans chapter 12 the importance of the discipline of service. Because of time constraints, we weren't able to finish, so Pastor Clay is going to go back to Romans 12 today to wrap up the Apostle Paul's instructions for the body of Christ and our service to each other. From there, Pastor Clay is going to take us to John chapter 13 for the fascinating account of Jesus washing his disciples' feet and the lessons we can all learn from that as we seek to honor our Lord through the discipline of service. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's Crosswalk. following Christ does not come about through some process of osmosis or something. It just doesn't come into me. I have to build something into my life, these patterns, these disciplines that help me understand what it really uh, means to look like a follower of Christ. So we've looked at uh, some disciplines already, and today we're going to continue a discipline that we started looking at last week and, and quite honestly just ran out of time. Uh, I wanted to finish up what we started last week and then jump into another passage of Scripture that deals with this same discipline this morning, and it is the discipline of service. The idea of serving within the body of Christ as God, as we'll see, has clearly told us to and desires for us to. And last week, we were in Romans chapter 12, uh, the first uh, four or five verses there. Not going to reread all of those verses this morning. We will look at uh, verse 1 again in a moment. But Romans chapter 12 uh, opens with this, these great words where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome and to those of us who are followers, I urge you, I beseech you, I plead with you, I beg you, because of God's mercy to present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service or your reasonable service of worship. And we, it opens with those words and, and we dove into it and we looked at a few things and we started last week with, with this idea. And the idea was this, is that we need to serve out of gratitude for His amazing grace, which is what Paul seems to be introducing there in verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. That when, when we reflect on His amazing grace and what it is that God has done for us, it should stir within us this gratitude that then compels us to say, man, I want to be a part of that. I I know I can never repay God for what he's done for me. That's not the point. But can I, in gratitude, serve him through the body of Christ? We need to serve as a result of his amazing grace. And And I gave you a few things just to reflect on that can kind of help us sometimes to keep that gratitude strong. And, and some of those things you may remember, and I think the outline's already filled in for you, that part of it. But, but one of the things I said was reflect on his love. Just, just how much, how deep, how wide, how great the love of God is for you, me. It's an amazing thing. And connected to that was the idea of, of reflecting on his sacrifice, the price that he paid, which, by the way, we will look at more in depth next week, Palm Sunday and, and the following Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but the sacrifice that God has made for us. Don't you just feel more great? If, has someone ever done something for you? Just even, you know, on, on, on your level, maybe your spouse or a, a, a parent or somebody ever done something for you that was so magnanimous, so sacrificial on their part that you were just overwhelmed with gratitude to them for what they had done, to just reflect on a sacrifice. And the last thing that I said in connection with that was to reflect on your own life without Christ. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know, you understand about His pardon, you understand about the sacrifice that He made, you understand what that means for you You ever just stop and reflect on where would I be today in my life had I not given my life to Christ? That's not a bad thing to do from time to time. To just say, wow, uh, I bet I would, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's, that's about as far as we got last week was uh, just out of gratitude for his amazing grace and that or this. Let me pick up this morning on that real quickly um, and, and go to the second idea that we talked about. And that is this, this morning. The one we spent so much time on last week is the idea of, of reflecting on his amazing grace. But how about this idea of serving in obedience to his sovereign rule? Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I said it, let's read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, or because of, or through the mercies of God, to present, it's a, it's a command in the Greek, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Therefore, I urge you, or so your translation sometimes say, I urge you, therefore... One of the more basic uh, rules of interpretation in Scripture is every time you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what is therefore, therefore? Therefore is a connecting word. It's connecting what's been previously said to what is about to be said. 
So Paul's launching off into Romans chapter 12, and he, and he starts with, therefore I urge you. So what is therefore, therefore? It's looking back at what Paul has spoken previous to this moment in his letter to the church in Rome. And the immediate context of what he wrote is in the last part of chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, beginning in verse 33. It looks like this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. While not everyone may agree with this statement, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't change the fact that God has complete sovereign rule over his entire creation. Whether a person acknowledges that or not, God is ruler. And God has every right to expect you to serve him within the context of the building of his kingdom. Has every right to do that. Now, listen to me. He doesn't. He doesn't make you. As best I can tell, God never forces his will on anyone. But you and I would do well to remember. Sure, to, to, to serve with a focus on his grace, absolutely. To, to just be grateful for what God has done, absolutely. But we would do well sometimes just to remember God is on his throne. He is sovereign ruler over his creation. And quite frankly, if you've come to him and are in relationship with him, you do not belong to yourself. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Should I just say that again? And that you are not your own. As a matter of fact, why don't you just say that with me? Say it was change you to, to I. And that I am not my own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Now, in the context of 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul's talking about sexual sin and the dangers of sexual sin and how we should not give our bodies over to, to sin or, or to a sexual appetite that is that is passed or outside of the, the parameters that God designed it. But the principle would apply in every area of my life. I don't belong to myself. I belong to God. He has paid for me. So, real simple. You could figure this out yourself. I don't even need to tell you. But just real simple to kind of keep that in the, in the forefront of your mind. Just remember who's God and, and who's not. I, it, I know it sounds simple, but the last time I checked, there's not a vacancy in the Trinity. And while uh, when Morgan Freeman plays God in a movie, he may take a vacation, but in reality, God does not. And, And probably almost every person in this room would wholeheartedly say, Jesus is Lord. 
Let, let me ask you a question. Do you and I live Jesus is Lord? Yeah, it's his sovereign rule. It's part of why I need to serve him. And then uh, the third area connected with, uh, with Romans chapter 12 is this, to serve for the good of his body. And this is really coming back around to what I started out with uh, last week. To serve for the good of his body. Look at uh, verses 4 and 5 there of Romans chapter 12. Just as our bodies have many parts. Now, now listen to this. And I know I read this last week, but maybe you weren't here. Or maybe it's just good to read it again. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. Notice the he's talking about the human bodies, making this analogy. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. And when y'all read that last, last sentence with me, and we all belong to each other. It's a pretty amazing statement, is it? And we all belong to each other. Paul says the human body has many fingers, toes, nose, mouth, kidney. All these different body parts, but they all belong to one body. And they all function together, and they all need each other for the good and the, the health and the strength of this body. And Paul says, oh, that, and that's, like, that's like us. We're all members, each individually. We may be different parts, but we are one body, and we need each other. I was, <laughs> Russell, I was thinking about you a little while ago, Russell, uh, old uh, retired Marine sergeant. I suspect on more than one occasion, Russell probably had to say to some, some uh, grunt, your particular body part is mine, boy. <laughs> your foot is mine. Well, that's, that wasn't it. That was your hand. No, I, whatever it was, I don't know. But to think that you and I belong to each other, is a, I think it's an amazing thing. Listen, can I tell you something? That's part of what made the, the church in the first century this amazing thing that people were so attracted to. They, they couldn't understand why these people suddenly began to just invest their lives in each other with, with no design out of getting something out of it from the other person. Oh, sure, they, they had their struggles and they had their flesh, that all, like all of that, but... But they just began to, you know, and the book of Acts records this amazing body that began to exist. And they gave to each other as there was need. And there, were, there was all this stuff. And, and the world, the, they, they were blown away by this. It was part of, of the attraction that they had something special. And like I said, this brings us back to really what I started with last week. We need each other. We really do. We really do. Now... Maybe you're sitting there thinking, speak for yourself, dude. <laughs> I mean, I like coming down here and uh, like the, the worship is good and I want to learn something about God's word, but, but I don't really have to be here. I don't, I don't really have to be a, a, a part of this. I don't really have to, to serve in this. Here's the thing. You kind of do. If you're going to be in the center of God's will, if you're going to accomplish what God has for you, you kind of do. So... 
the good of the body. So, Paul writes in Romans, and he gives us this urge, plead, to do this thing, to present our bodies, and he gives us the reasons for it. Now, I want to switch gears, sort of, and show you the quintessential example. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, open it to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and we're going to read uh, this morning uh, verses 1 through 7, and I'm going to pick it up again in verse 12, skipping a few verses there because it's an encounter that Jesus had with Peter and this discussion about why he's doing what he's doing, and, and that's, a, that's a story for another day. But John chapter 13, the text is up on the screen also, uh, by the way. Let me read this to you. Now, uh, before the feast of the Passover, uh, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. He put it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now jump down to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. There are a few things from this story in John chapter 13 that I want to share with you within the context of this discipline of serving that we're talking about today. And the first one is this. Jesus is our model for serving. Now, we may look at others and admire the service that they do, the work that they do, and and we may appreciate them and we may acknowledge them at different times, and, and, and well, we should. But ultimately, Jesus is our model for serving. John 13 records an event that occurred while he and the disciples were gathered together in what has come to be known as the upper room. It was called that just because it was room up above another room. So it was the upper room. You could call it the second story room if you wanted to, but it just doesn't have the same ring to it. If you're not familiar with the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the disciples and Jesus had gathered together in that upper room to celebrate a a feast, a meal that the Jews, remember Jesus and his disciples were, were Jewish, nation of Israel, this festival, this meal that the Jews had been celebrating for hundreds of years. 
It's known as the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a commemoration and a celebration of the Jews' deliverance out of slavery from Egypt. And, and they, like I said, they had, been, they had been commemorating that event through this meal for hundreds and hundreds of years. What Jesus knew that the disciples did not yet know or understand was that this was the last time that they were going to celebrate or commemorate this meal together. This literally was the Last Supper. The, the Passover meal, from what I understand, is a very uh, festive occasion. It is celebrating their deliverance, as I said, from slavery. And I suspect that it was that night in the upper room. I, I suspect that, that, that folks were, were in, a, in a pretty good mood. Because not only were they celebrating the fact that they had been delivered hundreds and hundreds of years ago from slavery, just like we celebrate, you know, a couple hundred years later, our independence on July 4th, we do the same thing. Not only were they, were they celebrating that, but, but there, were, there, was a, there was a buzz in the air, you understand. There was, a, there was some uncertainty, but there was a lot of buzz in the air. There was a lot of there was electricity, there was electricity in the room. Because, remember, these disciples have hitched their star to Jesus' wagon, so to speak. They, uh, they believe that He is Messiah. It means the anointed one, the deliverer one, the one that the nation of Israel had been looking for to come and deliver them. They misunderstood that part. Deliver, they thought deliver them from Roman bondage. Jesus had another plan, but, but they're looking for him. And, and earlier that week, Jesus had come into Jerusalem, what's known as the triumphal entry. And everybody had gone crazy and they were celebrating. Jesus was a rock star coming in Jerusalem. And so the disciples, you know, they're, they're like, whoo-hoo. They're kind of, they're kind of, there's a buzz in the room. There's a lot going on. Kind of exciting. But Jesus clearly knows that his hour has come. I think verse 1 and verse 4 make it very clear that he understood completely that his time had come. The time that he had come to fulfill what he had come for in the first place, which was the redemption of all of those who would place their trust in him. He was about to go to the cross, and he knew it. That's why I think it is, it is amazing to me that in the midst of all that must have been going on in Jesus' head, and I'm just thinking that there must have been, in, in thinking about what he was about to do for you and me, I think it's startling that he takes time to teach his disciples and us a very valuable lesson about what it means to serve one another. He takes this meal that they're celebrating together, and he takes some of the bread and he takes some of the fruit of the vine, some of the wine, and he uses those elements to start a new commemoration for the price that he was going to pay the very next day. A commemoration, by the way, that we will participate in together here next week on Palm Sunday as we commemorate our Lord's sacrifice and we participate in the Lord's Supper. Now, let me tell you why I say that Jesus is our model for serving. Because... Jesus models love. That last part of uh, of verse 1 there, don't rush past that. Did you see where it said there, the last part of of, uh, 
chapter 13, verse 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Even in the end, not only is it the sacrifice he's going to pay, but, but even at the end, he's still trying to, to help them get it. He's still trying to help them understand that there's, that there's so much more to this than you think that there is. And I want you to understand this. You know, love is a powerful thing. We probably all know that, right? Maybe you've read these words before the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But now faith, hope, love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is a powerful thing. And it was the love that Christ had for his disciples that allowed him to do this incredibly remarkable, amazing thing. In the midst of the excitement, in the midst of the, of the buzz, in the, in the midst of whatever all was going on, Jesus does something absolutely amazing. It was the custom in those days for People to have their feet washed when they came into a house. Jesus gets up and, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, maybe they're just chattering. Maybe they're just, you know, I, I don't know what all's going on. But I, I'm thinking when it, when it dawns on them what he is doing, when they see him get up and walk over to this basin and he takes this towel and he begins to, to put it around him and, and tie this towel up around him, I'm thinking you could have heard a pin drop in that place, don't you think? Because what, what in the world is our Messiah doing? Love is what motivates you to do that sort of thing. The pure desire to, to do something selflessly for someone else. Most of us have some type of, not all the time, and I know that, but most of us most of the time have some type of, well, you know, if they do this, then okay, then I'll do that. Or, or I'll do this once, but if they don't reciprocate, or if I don't see this, or, or whatever else. Pure love. Uh, that's a model for us, ladies and gentlemen. Can I ask you a question this morning? Uh, and maybe this is unfair, especially if you're, if you're fairly new to, to cross-culture. This, maybe it's an un, this is an unfair question to you, so you can't really answer it. But do you love this body? Uh, yeah, we don't have to answer out loud, but I mean... I mean, do you love this body to, to sacrifice whatever as a result of that love? To minister to others as a result of that love is an amazing thing. Jesus models love and Jesus models humility. That's what makes him our model. Now, like I said, it's tradition to have this, this basin and in in, in this water and this towel there because in those days people walked everywhere pretty much they either went barefooted or 
wore open-toed sandals for the most part, I guess. That's what it looks like on the movies anyway. The roads were dusty and dirty and hot, and your feet would get dusty and dirty and grimy and smelly. And so it was the custom that when, when a guest came into your home, that their feet would be washed. And as I understand it, it was ordinarily the assignment of the lowest person in the house, lowest servant in the house, or, or it might be a, a, a daughter or, or someone that was thought that had the lowest rank, that it was their responsibility to wash the feet of the guests as they came in. Nobody was signing up for that job, okay? And, and, and now, here they are, they're it's festive occasion, they've come into the upper room, and everybody's feet's dirty, I'm sure. But none of the disciples have decided to take on this task. And the implication is, here's this basin of water and this towel that's been sitting there the whole time. Nobody has, has taken up the task of, of doing this. Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe they were busy doing other things. Maybe they had other things they were doing. Or maybe they'd been reading a few too many of their own press clippings from the Jerusalem News and Observer. Because there were a lot of buzz in town about Jesus and the guys that were with him. Maybe the idea of doing something so beneath their status in life had never even occurred to them before. So again, imagine the shock when their Messiah gets up without saying a word. There, yeah, hey John, did you hear the one about, that's going and he just gets up and he walks over and he wraps his towel around himself and he walks back over and he kneels down and he takes their dirty, grimy, dusty, stinky feet and he lays them in his lap and he begins to gently wash them. That is humility personified. What does it take to do that? Because I tell you, it's key to the success of the body of Christ and where, where pride is non-existent within the body and it does happen sometimes. Those rare glimpses when we get it right in our life and, and, and pride is not an issue. We're not worried about they're getting one over on me or I'm not going to get anything out of this or, or, or am I going to get noticed of it? When, when, when pride is able to be void of the situation, that's when the body of Christ is able to operate in magnificent beauty and power. And Jesus models that humility to us. Philippians chapter 2, we find this passage of Scripture Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I'm telling you, it is a beautiful thing when it operates like that. And I said this last week, I'll say it again. I understand, as the old saying goes, I'm kind of preaching to the choir. We have an unbelievable body at Cross Culture Church. There's always things all of us could do to improve. There's always things that we all could, could work on. And, and, and we are, and we're striving to be more Christ-like in our lives. And, and I know that so many of you serve in so very many areas in so many different ways. But the idea of just serving the body for the good of the body 
Jesus is our model. He really, really is. Now, uh, real quickly, let me, let me give you one other thing to, to chew on. Uh, Jesus is also our motivation for serving. Um, in uh, verse 15, 16, listen to what he says. For I gave you an example. Now listen, he, he, this is not even cloak and dagger kind of stuff. You know, he kind of spells this out pretty plain. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we honor him when we serve. When we serve like him, we honor him with our service. That's what Jesus is saying. The, the, the slave is not better than the master. Now, he's not, he's not dissing on us. He's just saying, you just call me, you call me Lord and master. And that's right, I am. And I just did this for you. And you're not going to do this for one another? What's wrong with this picture? We honor him when we serve like he served. When we forget about ourselves and we bend our knee. And listen, don't get caught up in the whole, oh, okay, so we need to start washing each other's feet every week. There are denominations that practice uh, the, the act of foot washing uh, all the time. Nothing wrong with that. But don't miss the principle that he's making, the point that he's making. And that is that you and I need to think of others above ourselves. No, that's so hard. The point is that if we give of ourselves, if we humbly and lovingly serve the body and beyond, that we are honoring him with our service. We're doing like he did. And to not do that, by the way, you know, to say, well, yeah, I know Jesus served. Yeah, I know he did that and, that, and that's great. But hey, listen, Jesus didn't have the schedule I have. Jesus didn't have the commitments I have. Jesus didn't have the, 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 Jesus didn't have the health issues I have. Jesus didn't have whatever. Now, I know we'd never say that out loud where God could hear us and everything. But listen, there's an old saying. Maybe y'all have heard it. And I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm not trying to actions speak louder than words. And like I said, it's not cloak and dagger. He says, I've left you an example. I, God in the flesh, have gotten up from my seat of honor and I've walked over here and I've taken this this bowl of water and I've taken this towel and I am washing your feet. Can you not serve those around you in the same way? I'm telling you, this one principle would eliminate church splits, arguments, fights, marital strife. Okay, maybe there'll still be a little strife, but it could be overcome by humbly and lovingly serving. That's not to say, when I say this idea of serving and that we need to serve and we all need to be able to do, that's not to say that there's not necessarily an economy of service that we need to think about. And I thought about this example in Acts chapter 6 where the apostles said to the church, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. It's talking about um, the daily distribution of food to those who were hurting. The apostles said to the church, you know, it, it's, they, they weren't saying that they were too good to, to wait on tables. What they're saying was it doesn't make sense. In the economy of God, in the, since, they, since they've given us this gifting to, to pray, spend time in prayer and, and study and teach the word of God to the body, 
We need to do that, but we're, so much of our time is being consumed with the daily distribution of food that we're not having time to pray and study like we need to as the leaders of the church. They weren't saying they were too good to do it. They had been doing it. They were just saying there's got to be a better system. We need more people involved. We need the body ministering to the body. Okay, uh, last idea here. Uh, we are blessed by Him in our service. We honor Him with our service and we are blessed by him in our service. Look at the uh, verse, last verse we read there, verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Notice, you're not blessed if you know these things. You're blessed if you know these things and you do them. Again, no cloak and dagger here. Pretty much spelling it out. It is this idea of of God's blessing upon people in response to their obedience to Him. I have made this statement many, many times in my life to many, many people. And I will continue to make this statement as long as God gives me breath and as long as people keep coming to me with issues in their life. God blesses obedience. And that's the only thing He blesses. Now listen to me. I'm smart enough to leave the blessings up to God, okay? This is not name it and claim it. That's, that's, I'm not going down that road. I'm smart enough to leave the blessings up to God. But this I know, God is good. And so anytime God says, I'll bless you for this, I know it's going to be good. I'm willing to leave it up to Him, whatever he, however He defines that. But if God says He'll bless me for it, I want me some of that. Because God blesses obedience. That's the only thing He blesses. Let me say this. Uh, I have, from time to time in my life, had people come to me and, and, and tell me how they are, they are waiting for God to do something in their life. Anything from, from finding a spouse, bringing them a spouse, to, uh, to making their business successful, and, and anything in between. Believe me, I've heard a lot of things. And, and that's commendable. There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm waiting for God to bring the right person for me to marry. Not a thing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, that's what we should be doing. But when I, when, when I begin to probe, when a person makes a statement like that to me, and I begin to say, okay, tell me about your walk with Christ. How does that look? How's that going? What, what, what are the disciplines? How are the disciplines in your life? What's your relationship with Christ like? When I begin to ask questions like that, I oftentimes get this blank stare as if, They've totally not made this connection between obedience to God and the blessing of God. And why does that surprise us when the scripture is filled with example after example of of God blessing people in obedience to what he asked them to do? The nation of Israel over and over again, God says, listen, guys, this is not rocket science. If you you follow me, if you you listen to my commands and, and do what I've asked you to do, for your good, if you'll do these things, I'll watch over you, I'll protect you, I'll provide for you. But if you don't, if you go off and do your own thing, if you go your own way, if you decide you don't want to follow my commands, then you're on your own. You're just going off out from underneath my my hand of blessing. And over and over again, they did it, and they came back, and they did it, and they came back, and they did it, and they came back, and we do it, and we go back, and we do it, and we go back. It's the blessings of God that come as a result of obedience to him. The discipline of serving within the body and beyond. It's a call on every believer. Can I just say this to you very practically? 
if you don't have a place of service within the body of cross culture, if this is, you know, you, you, you like it here and this way, and you don't have a place of service within the body, come, come to me. Hey, I don't even, I don't even put you off on anybody. Come to me and ask me, say, listen, where, where can I serve? I'll start you down the road of a place of service that'll fit with where you are and your station of life and fit with your, your health and fit with your schedules and, and everything else. It's the discipline of service. What a model Jesus has given to us. It's sobering to think that our Creator would love us so much that He would humble Himself and take on such a lowly task. What a terrific model we are to the world around us and to each other when we seek to humble ourselves and serve others. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.